All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire podcast, a football edition, because we got hoops going on soon. So, yes, now we have the intro football edition. Myself, Jeremy Moss, and Matt Kennerly. And, hey, congratulations on your Fresno State Bulldogs. Yeah, we'll get to them in a little bit. It was a pretty decent win, but they weren't the only team with pretty decent wins this this weekend. Yeah, there are some good wins, but uh, check us out for any of our shenanigans on Twitter at 2 a.m. Mountain Time when I'm up late last night. <laughs> check that out at MWC Wire. Um, Facebook, we're getting close to 100 likes or whatever it's called on Facebook. We started over, but we're trying. So appreciate the influx of 15 or so. And we're almost near 1,000 on Twitter too, Matt. We're very close. Yeah. Tell your friends. Tell your friends, especially. Yeah, we got our basketball countdown coming up pretty soon. So if you want to listen to both shows, you got that. We have new bowl projections and me making fun of the pollsters who don't like San Diego State because, I'll say it, East Coast bias and they don't pay attention to games. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit, but yeah, I think you're on to something there. <laughs> you ready for Friday night? Yeah, let's do it. Oh boy. Um, so I think Utah State's good now? Can we say that? You know, I think they certainly showed us something. In winning forty to twenty four over BYU, bringing the old wagon wheel back to Logan. Exactly. Did you know it's only the, Matt Wells is only the second coach to win twice against BYU as a head coach. Really. Mm-hmm. Gary Anderson did it once in twenty ten, and that's about it. So I know we talked about you know a little bit in the preview about you know Matt Wells and his you know, the whole question of job security. Do you think beating a rival, you know, even as diminished as BYU is this year, beating them fairly convincingly, how much do you think that that does for Wells' job security going forward? It's huge because I'm around here and BYU fans, like I mentioned in the preview, like, is this really a rivalry? The uh, student section kind of jokingly, it's like, well, it's, yeah, favored BYU, but it's still rivalry. I believe they play more than Utah because Utah State, BYU, or Utah State, Utah used to, be, it's like one of the oldest rivalries until they kind of backed out in the Pac-12 and won for your non-conference game. But this is nearly as big, at least for Utah State side. But yeah, it goes a long way to beating BYU. Like I said, Matt Wells is the only, I believe, the first or se- second coach to beat Utah to beat BYU twice as a head coach in their tenure, and that includes when Gary Anderson did good. But then, but then again, you go back to guys like Brent Guy; they were terrible. John L. Smith was in town for a second at Utah State. So, but Utah State's been terrible. But yes, it goes a long way, and. I still say he needs to go to a bowl game to keep his job. But if, say, they're 5-7 and seven, and, say, they're kind of unlucky like last year where they had so many games where they lost by touchdown or less, maybe that'll help them keep the job because they beat up on the rival BYU. It does go a long way. And toward a bowl game, too, I think this win is a win they had to have because this was a win, even though I, I kind of said in our pre my one of our uh, stupid upset picks, I pick Utah State to win. Well, mm-hmm. they got a victory. It's one we didn't think they'd have. And so they're sitting with three wins. But, yeah, beating the rival like that and dominating defensively, geez. Yeah. It's huge. Well, okay, so here's the question I have because I only got to watch a little bit of this game. Okay. And to me, it seemed like it was a tale of two games because you have everything that happened when, you know, Hogue was under center for BYU. I'm trying to remember his first name. It's Bo Hodge. Merrill Hodges kid. Merrill Hodges kid who they kept showing every five seconds in the stands. So you you have everything that happened when he was under center, and then you have everything that happened after he got knocked out of that game and Coy Detmer Jr. was under center. Oh, boy. Not good. Because 
you know, uh, despite the final score, I think it is worth mentioning that BYU was actually up 21 to 7 at a certain point early in the second quarter. Was it, you know, was it as simple as just getting knocking Hoge out of the game? Like, I know it wasn't on purpose or anything like that, but. No. Um, you know, if you look. Because yeah, if you yes look at no. the. the because if you look at the cumulatives, like Utah State was actually outgained by over 100 yards on offense. And, you know, they didn't have any sacks. You know, BYU ended up having four sacks of Kent Myers as well as nine tackles for loss. But, you know, was it as simple as, you know, facing an inexperienced quarterback and really exploiting that inexperienced quarterback? Because if you look, BYU's first five drives, three of them ended in touchdowns. And then immediately after that, it looks like a lot of carnage after that. Like, you know, interception, punt, fumble, punt, interception, halftime, fumble, interception. And then, you know, turn. I could keep going, but it seemed like it was a totally different game after a particular juncture where, you know, it took the offense a little while to get going and really took advantage of you know, field position advantages that they ended up having by creating turnovers. And while that, I think, is a credit to, you know, especially someone like Jalen Davis, who had three interceptions in this game. Two touchdowns. Like, yeah. And did, you know, so is, I guess what I'm asking is, like, did Utah State really win this game or did BYU just collapse and Utah State took advantage of a kind of an un, a rather favorable situation? It's it's a little bit of both because here's the thing: if you create seven turnovers, you're doing something right. And That's so true. There's it's like it's like people. If you want to go back to seven turnover, Boise State Air Force, where mm-hmm. people are like, oh well, Air Fo- Boise gave up the game because look what Air Force did. It's yes and no. Here's the thing: BYU came into this game with an inexperienced quarterback already in Bo Hodge, who started the week prior versus Wisconsin or two weeks prior versus Wisconsin, got their bait, just got crushed, which. Expect, expectedly so, but here he started getting going, but they ran him a bit more than people thought. But but here's the Utah State first drive, nine plays, seventy five yards, march down the field, no issue, touchdown. They're outgained because they had all those short fields. But then you got like the pick six that happened. Uh, Kent Myers, um, Micah Hanneman had that pick six against them. U- Utah State had to punt a couple times. Um, but yeah, it was fourteen to seven because BYU they had a touchdown. What did they do there? But they ran the ball a lot, like with Ula Talatau, who or Talatu, who finally got a breakout game for him, who they've been expecting to hundred plus yards. He ran the ball very well on their second, or I guess their first offensive touchdown drive. But Utah State's defense came up. Yeah, inexperienced quarterback with Hodge and then Coy Detmer. They're telegraphing passes, but coughing up the ball. That's it's both. It's yeah. It's an unfortunate situation. Third string quarterback coming in, guy who's never played. He came cold off the bench, and look what Utah State did. They took advantage of the situation. It's not their fault the quarterback goes out. Utah State's been in the same situation. Remember, um, Craig Harrison, Daryl Garrettson had to come into play one time. Kent Myers, remember, he's a four string quarterback at one point, went four and one for the Aggies because so everybody got hurt back when he was a true freshman. But yeah, I would say you're right a little bit where Utah State had short field, so the yardage wise, when you're getting the ball at midfield. And you can only have 30, 40 yards to go instead of going 70 to 90. You're going to get outplayed. But I would say this for Utah State's offense. Like, Kent Myers was just oh, 16-27, not bad. But they didn't run the ball very well. And he only had 176 yards in the air. And that's a bit partly short field. But also, 
he didn't have very many long passes. Like two of those passes to uh, Raymond and one Craven Tarver were almost two thirds of his passing. It's our third, 60, what, 68 yards, 60, yeah, 68 yards, a third of his passing. So short field, yes. Running game needs work. But again, their defense stepped up big. Like, look at, they had two defensive touchdowns, short fields. They only needed to go 20 yards. So had Kenton Myers gone 16, 27, but they got the ball 20 yards back every time. Maybe he would have had 200 yards, 250 yards. But it, it's some of both. BYU, unfortunately, they also lost Butch Powell, their best one of their best defenders. Linebacker was gone too. But the rushing defense for Utah State needs work. They gave up 210 yards, almost five yards of carry. Yeah, I mean, yes and no, because if you do look at the, um, you know, the fact that they did get outgained, which isn't great, but at the same time, if you look at what they were doing, like in situations where it really mattered, BYU was only four of fourteen on third downs. And perhaps even more critically, when it was you know later in the game and BYU was trying to rally back into this game, the Cougars were also 0 of three on fourth down. So you know while they were able to move the ball a little bit against this defense, you know they held when they needed to hold, and I think that that's a credit to them. So where do you think Utah State should be at now? Because this is an into this game, we said like they had the blowouts, like they got, they blew out San Jose State, which is not really expected, but not a good team. And Idaho State, then the reverse, inverse, Wake Forest, Wisconsin. So we're, and B, we said, BYU's like, well, this is a good team, a team that's going to be more on their level, just because defense is really good for BYU. Offense wasn't great. Even had they had Taylor Mango, I don't know if it would have made too much of a difference. Maybe, probably not seven turnovers, maybe four still, who knows. But this is a team that's more on their level. So I put them in our my latest bowl projection. I put Utah State in the bowl game going to Hawaii, replacing them. Is it too soon to say they're a bowl team after this victory? I mean, it's certainly not going to be easy with the division that they play in. But, you know, they didn't play a perfect game, but still found a way to win. You know, the defense stepped up. The offense may still be a little bit of a work in progress. But, you know, they created seven turnovers and they got 26 points off of those turnovers. That's nothing to sniff at. So I think that they definitely have a chance to, you know, climb back into that picture for sure. Because look at who they play. One thing in the running game, I was surprised El Toro Allen didn't get many more carries. He only had six. So I thought he'd be the guy, but it looks like it's still Lawan Hunt, who did, okay, 18 for 65. But, like, who they play, they're, Utah State, I'm not going to say they're going to beat the Rams. Hosting Wyoming, I can see them beating Wyoming at home, maybe. I can see them beating UNLV on the road. That's two right there. Put them at five. And then they're probably not going to beat Boise State. At New Mexico, depends what New Mexico shows up. Hawaii's shown to not be that great. And Air Force, I think there's a chance, but it's gonna be it's still going to be tough because Air Force is still really good despite them losing to New Mexico, and we'll get to. Hawaii, it's at, in Logan, so that's a big deal for them. And like I said UNLV, I, I, I think it's a hard maybe. compared to I swapped them out because compared to what Hawaii has left, I think Utah State has a little bit, little bit of a better chance. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. But regardless, good job, Aggies. You get a good victory, and let's move on to Saturday. Okay. Um, <laughs> did you see the Josh Allen jokes on uh, or mentions on everything, Twitter and everything <laughs> about the game? I did. Is he he's back, right? Is that what they're saying? <laughs> kind of, sorta. It's we don't need to get into that mess again. But they ended up beating Texas State easily, forty-five to ten. Here's what's good about the game for Allen: he him going two hundred eighteen yards and three touchdowns. Perfect. Great. He he needed the game where he wasn't struggling at all. 
Should I remind you that you were expecting 225 yards from him to be back? <laughs> Dang it! Hey, he had 12 rushing yards. Can I combine? <laughs> Can I do the combination 231? I'll allow it. But I also I think I said two touchdowns as well, right? 225 and two. So that third touchdown, That's true. an extra bump. I, I would say it's good to see him play this way. And part of it is, I don't know, it's competition, who he's going up against. But C.J. Johnson finally decided to show up with a pair of touchdowns. But then you have um, Conway only had two for 12. And you got James Price James Price back, which is good. He had a 40-yard long pass, recept, pass reception. But there's no reason they shouldn't have just smoked Texas State. He's not very good. Yeah, I mean, it did take a little while for the offense to get going because, you know, Allen only had 15 yards in the first quarter. So a lot of that production ended up, you know, coming in the second quarter. And that, you know, when, when we were talking about Josh Allen in the preview, you know, I wanted to see him play like more within himself. So even though by halftime he was still only 9 of 17, you know, he that was when he really started airing out a little bit. And, you know, he had a couple of really nice touchdowns in that second quarter. The first one to C.J. Johnson not an easy throw, you know, it was the, he had to put a lot of air under it into the front corner of the end zone for Johnson to be able to grab it. Not a lot of quarterbacks in the conference. I said this online, you know, not a lot of quarterbacks could have made that throw. And then, you know, the second one that he threw later in that quarter was probably even more difficult. Yeah. He can make those throws, but he, he, we'd see what he could do. And part of it is, like, is he a good player on a bad team and draft and all that fun stuff because everybody has some top fives, like Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay. It's just good to get him back on track, and maybe maybe he's one of those players where once he goes to the next level, if he's on a good team, he'll be fine. But they got the victory. They needed the victory because they've been playing a pretty tough schedule. And running game did okay. It would have been nice. You're winning 45-10. to 10. It'd be nice to have more than 84 rushing yards when you're blowing out a team this much. You want to be a bit more efficient. 21 for 53. Looks like it is Trey Woods as a guy, but that's less than three yards per carry. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't... A, I mean, it, you might think that a 35-point margin might ex, you know, suggest that it was a complete game, and I don't know that that was necessarily the case for Wyoming. You know, because in part the running game didn't get all the way going, Trey Woods, I think, only ended up having 53 yards on the afternoon on you know 21 carries, which isn't great. And, you know, again, they kind of struggled on third downs. They were only 5 of 11, which is, you know, maybe not where you want to be with such an explosive quarterback or anything like that. But, you know, same as with, you know, Utah State. They were up against an opponent that was beatable, and they took care of business. And I think that there's a lot of, you know, credit that you can, or a lot of encouragement that you could take care, or that you could take from that, rather. There is. Let me ask you a quick question, though. I know we're kind of approaching midseason who's your special teams player of the year could it be could it possibly be uh tyler hall two touchdown returns already this year he, he would definitely have to be in the conversation i think i think there's it's, it's gonna be more crowded than you think because you got him you have uh avery williams has that kick return and then does it Jawat, how many does penny have does he have two touchdowns already i believe or one yes. i thought am i looking at punt or kick returns yeah. CFB stats is failing me because I'm on punt returns and I don't see any return for touchdowns. I know, doesn't, um, what's his name, Jawan Washington have one as well? Uh, yes, he does. Okay, CFB stats. 
get your act together. You're not working for me today. I only got that That's two from you, Tyler you're, Hall. You're, you're, you're sorting by those who are like qualified for whatever reason. you got to sort by returns in order to see it. Ah, or by touchdowns. There we go. Mm-hmm. You go by touchdowns, you got Penny and Washington. So, it, Okay. Well, it's, it'll be interesting because Penny has five returns and one touchdown. So that's not bad. <laughs> yeah, All right. I mean, let's I, and I think it's that, interesting. Well, just one more thing before we move on. I think what I've said all along is I thought that the Wyoming defense, the, coming into the season, I thought maybe I was underrating them a little bit. And, you know, they were not at 100% against Texas State in this game. But, you know, the guys that they have in the, up front, in the front seven, made a lot of plays. You know, Johanna Guyfan might have had his best game ever with two sacks and four tackles for a loss and a forced fumble. And, you know, if you saw the play where Logan Wilson basically got into the backfield, took the ball out of oh, the yeah. quarterback's hands and ran to back. That. <laughs> like that I think is a good sign. You know, even if the offense scuffles at certain points, you know, there there may not be, you know, a, a surefire offense in this division. And so if these guys can continue playing like stars, that's the kind of thing I think that could keep the Cowboys in contention for another division title. But we'll have to see about that. We'll see. Yeah, we, that's. Uh, I forgot about that play. I meant to bring it up. I saw the replay. I'm like, because I only tuned in a bit to this game. Cause I was like car shopping in the morning or early afternoon, which sucks, by the way. But he just basically, it's like he took the hand off from the other side of the team, other side of the field. <laughs> like, thank you. See ya. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Next game. Uh, should we go to Air Force New Mexico that had a, another delay? Not that it did anything to delay the offensive explosions. What did I tell you? Take the over. Take the over. You were you're right. It was only what forty points, I believe, or fifty points for the over. The Mexico beat it by themselves with fifty six points. Yeah, I mean, and if you you know listened to our preview podcast, you would have known that we both would have said, "Been there, done that." Exactly, and like you mentioned, you brought up the uh, efficiency of how good New Mexico runs against Air Force. Richard McCorley, the yardage. Uh, what do you have? Ten yards per carry, twelve yards per carry, five touchdowns. Jeez. Pretty good. Lamar Jordan, two passing touchdowns. The throw bows, four of nine for 146. That's amazing. Well, and again, you know, I think that this is a tale of two halves because, you know, in the first half, Air Force really controlled things. You know, by total offense, they outgained New Mexico 229 to 176 in the first half. And they really asserted themselves on the ground. You know, they were averaging five and a half yards per carry, whereas New Mexico was only averaging four and a half. It was really after halftime that New Mexico was able to flip the script. You know, they ended up outgaining the Falcons two to one after halftime. And the number that really stands out to me, which you kind of alluded to just now, 22 carries after after halftime, 280 yards rushing. That's a, that's a 12.7 yards per carry average. And a lot of that has to do with McCorley, who, you know, we were wondering who might break Rashad Penny's offensive player of the week streak. You know, it's going to be really difficult to ignore 179 yards and five touchdowns. Yeah. Of their yardage, they had 509. 333 came after the halftime. Mm-hmm. So, like, Air Force is good, like, Worthman had some good touchdowns. He probably threw a bit more than they wanted to. The running game, probably not as good as they wanted to be. They ran 63 times for only 238. My main thing, I keep telling you, Aaron Worthman cannot run the ball 30 times a game, which he did, 20 times a game. 
they need to get somebody else to ball. Like they went away from the fullback dive. Parker Wilson only had three carries. McVeigh had good 14. They had this guy, uh, Taven Berto, show up for 12 for 50. But they need – Worthman can't do this much for them to win. He needs to – like 20 carries is the max he should have for any Air Force quarterback normally. If they get to 20, that slot. He's getting 30. I don't know if it's because he's not confident in the pitch or he thinks he can do more than himself, but they need to find another running back, either do the fullback dive more or do something to get the ball out of his hands because he's a playmaker, of course, but at some point you're going to get tired running the ball 30 times, throwing 17 times. That's a lot. I mean, I think the answer to that question kind of comes back to the big guys up front for New Mexico because... You know, Garrett Hughes, for instance, had a really big game in this game. You know, he had you know two and a half tackles for loss. He had a sack. Cody Baker up front had a tackle for loss, a sack. You know, Kene Okonkwo had a tackle and a half for loss. New Mexico was really getting into the backfield against this against this running attack in a way that Air Force wasn't. You know, and to me, one of the telltale signs of this game is the fact that as a team, the Lobos ended up with eleven tackles for loss. And Air Force only ended up with two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you're playing this type of offense, you got to get those those stacks. And like any triple option you're playing, don't allow those big plays. Like Air Force had a long of 36, and I think 16 were the two longs. McCorley 65, Jordan 39, the other Jordan, uh, Romel Jordan 24. Even Owens had a nice 15 yarder. You can give up five yards per carry, but if you're only giving up like three to nine yards essentially per run, that's fine. But averaging, what do they average? Nine yards per carry. Yeah, it was something absurd like that. 363 yards on 41 carries. That's a lot. Way too many. And I think another interesting thing that I saw in this game was one of the things that I talked about in the preview is, you know, at least for a little while, both of these quarterbacks stepped up to make plays in the passing game. You know, I think, you know, even though Arian Worthman had 30 carries overall, you know, he was 9 of 17 for 158 yards and three touchdowns as well and that is by far his best game of the season and you know while Lamar Jordan was only four of nine I think that it was really important that on those four completions three of them were really huge plays and two of them were the two touchdowns that he threw to you know Jay Griffin and Delane Hart Johnson you know 71 yards 49 yards you know I don't want to discredit Air Force's defense too much because I thought that, you know, if Lamar Jordan could find those big plays, that would be the difference in this game. You know, New Mexico is not the kind of team that has to throw 15, 20 times a game to make no. that part of the offense work. And, well, you know, they did pretty much exactly what they wanted to do against this defense, which I think is more a credit to New Mexico than it is a discredit to Air Force. Yeah, they scored 42 second half points. Yeah. They held Air Force to a field goal in that third quarter. And then they Air Force made it interesting with those two uh, fourth-quarter touchdowns. But, yeah, this is New Mexico just beating down the Air Force defense and just wearing them down. And the Falcons couldn't make plays. Like you said, how many TFLs New Mexico had were 11 compared to four. If you're going to beat a triple-option team, you got to get the TFLs, not a lot of big plays. And that's what happened. And now, let me ask you this, is Air Force in danger of missing a bowl game? I don't necessarily. I don't mean. I don't want to overreact too much because I still think Air Force has a lot of talent. But you know, it's been a weird couple of weeks for them with having to deal with weather delays and stuff like that. You know, they had San Diego State on the ropes last week, 
and they had a really good 30 minutes this week. You know, if they can shore up their defensive issues, like obviously they're not going to be running into a to a run heavy offense like this for the rest of the year, except uh, for Navy. Ex- next week, Navy. That's what I'm saying. On the road at Navy next week. That's going to be, I think, a really crucial game for them to win. Because if you fall to one and four at that point, you know, then you're looking at an uphill climb through Mountain West play where, you know, I thought they would win eight games. That possibility is looking more remote now than I thought it would at this point. But, you yeah, know, there's cause... still a lot of talent. There's there's still a lot of talent on this team, and they're going to make life really difficult for a lot of teams left on the schedule. Like really quick, they go to Navy right now. I'd probably say that's a loss. They can beat UNLV. They can beat Nevada. That puts them at three and four. At CSU, probably not. They should be able to beat Army at home. That puts them at four wins. Then they got to win a two or three against Wyoming at Boise hosting Utah State, which I could still see them getting six wins. But if Utah State is improving, maybe Boise State figures them out on offense with their quarterback or running back situation. But I think it's going to be a close call for them to make a bowl game. I mean, I think you're right. They're definitely going to have to shore up the defensive, you know, faults that they had in this game. You know, I think the offense took a step forward in this game, but the defense took a step back. I don't know. 30 carries for Worthman's way too much, but we'll see. You ready for the next one? Yeah, let's do it. Well, one thing I do like about this game, or are we going to go to uh, what game? Uh, San Diego, what game do you want to go to next? You decide. we got a lot here. Well, let's just, I mean, you mentioned San Diego State. Let's go there. Yeah. You know what the best thing about this game was, besides the victory? CBS Sports Network actually went to the better game, or I guess the better game at the right time. Instead of holding off for however many quarters or sticking online, they stuck the end of the Air Force New Mexico game online and went kickoff at, right away to Northern Illinois at San Diego State. I mean, I think that the, the most interesting part of this game was, you know, th- this wasn't an offense that was playing like the you know their best game of the year but they still found a way to win you know northern illinois is a good team so like if you're an aztecs fan out there who's panicking a little bit you know northern illinois at the end of the year i think is probably going to win seven or eight games so you know whatever difficulties the aztecs had you know especially in the second half it seemed like they were really holding on um, halftime especially Rocky Long needs to give some help to Ron Smith in this game. Come on. He got beat every single play downfield. Like Chris Blake or Christian Blake had 12 receptions. I think both touchdowns came against the Smith, 153 yards. But come on. You see him get beat multiple times. Give a shadow, man. You got the three, three, five, stick somebody else over there. That could have been seriously the issue where they lost the game because he was getting beat time after time down the field. But luckily, like Tariq Thompson and Cameron Kelly bailed everybody out with three touch three excuse me, three interceptions. I mean, I think it's worth pointing out too that Ron Smith is credited with three pass breakups as well. So, you know, Northern Illinois may have identified a matchup that they wanted to try to exploit. And, you know, Ron Smith maybe had an up and down night, but I think that, you know, to say he got rolled in that particular one on one matchup is probably not the entire truth. Well, at least two touchdowns given up against him. That's well, a yeah. Lot. I mean, yeah, that's true, but he had a rough you know, night. Let's just say that he had a rough night. I mean, he made some plays, and you know, Christian Blake made some plays. I think mm-hmm. that's pretty much all you need to say about it. Yeah. So this game, let's get to the poll stuff really quick because this game, like Rashard Penny had a season low 107 yards rushing, and a, he had a nice touchdown pass as well. But 
this game wasn't like this Aztecs team is we knew they had a good offense before at least running the ball always had a good defense special teams people should have known about them from what Penny's been back-to-back special teams player of the year now Juwan Washington's in the mix as well possibly they had a what special teams returned for a touchdown interceptions returned for a touchdown like this is just an all-around victory for them Christian Chapman made some very good throws 10 of 19 136 could be a little bit better at least a completion percentage wise but he made a lot of good throws and one issue in this game that really hurt them Michael Holder Mika Holder getting thrown out for a targeting early on that was the issue too for them did you agree with that call I don't know I should have I haven't watched it enough after but they're always judgment calls and it didn't get overturned so sure what do you think <laughs> Probably I mean, not. He's an offensive player, so I'd probably lean toward no because it's kind of hard for an offensive player to get called for a targeting. So mm-hmm. it probably shouldn't be happening. Yeah, I mean, I think you're probably right about that. It looked a little ticky-tacky to me. But that's a big deal. And then, I don't know, They David Wells had a nice big catch. But, yeah, that, it hurts him. He's, he's stepped up the past two weeks as being their primary receiver. But in that kind of probably limited Chapman to completing under 50 or – I mean, yeah, just over 50% of his passes. But again, like this game, like they, the second half, NIU made their comeback because it was 31 to 14 to break. Aztecs looks really good. They had the pick six for a touchdown. They're moving the ball well, but in the third and fourth quarter, they could not move the ball. They only ended up with a field goal for the victory. Like they were getting stuffed and couldn't move the ball, and NIU was just going down the field, passing and passing against whomever. When was the last time a team went one of 14 on third down and won the game? Last night. <laughs> well, I mean, before that. I don't know. That's terrible. I didn't realize it was that bad. I knew it was bad. But remember last week, it was Air Force. They were at 0 for 6 before they got their first third down conversion. Something that's, like that. That's true. I mean, and I think that this is, you know, a credit to the entire team. Because, you know, when one phase of the game, you know, maybe struggles a little bit or has a little bit of an off night, you know, the defense, as you said, really picked them up. And so did the special teams. You know, you mentioned Juwan Washington having a kickoff return to open the scoring, you know, 15 seconds into the game. You know, that's, I mean, maybe it's not something you can count on week in and week out, but that's kind of a rare asset that the Aztecs have that, you know, made a lot of difference in this game. Yeah, there's that. And then, like, at the end of the game, the interception looked very similar to beating Cal last year where it was, yeah, they had that throw in the uh, near, like, the end zone. Mm-hmm. Guy picked it off. I'm like, go down. Why are you trying to run back for touchdown? <laughs> he ended up yeah. getting to to midfield. But it's like, I get if you're up to two, maybe move out a little bit. And they just did. They I think they just kneeled it out right for the victory after that. Mm-hmm. But it's like they had those type of plays that very, looked very much like the Cal game last year, where they got the win at the very end. But they had two key interceptions, weren't they? Both on the final two drives, I believe. Uh, yes. Yeah, they were. they were. So interception, punt, forced three and out for the Aztecs were forced to go three and out then they got to pick pick again and I know last final three was it final three no sorry I'm look. I sorry my drive charts I had to open up yeah final two plays but so let me ask you this like they won good and I used better than people thought they might I don't know if they win the division but I think at least eight games in that Mac division they're not what they were like with Garrett Wolf and Jordan Lynch and stuff years ago but are people watching these games? Because in the polls, they both remain they remain stagnant in both the uh, AP and coaches poll. And if you look at it, this week they won by six points. They beat Air Force by just four points last week. Are people just scoreboard watching and not really seeing what's going on? It does make you wonder a little bit. 
you know, maybe it has to do with the fact that, you know, it's taking some time for certain aspects of the game, of the offense or, you know, the defense or whatever to get going. You know, they haven't been quite as dynamic as they were against, you know, you know, Arizona State's probably the most complete game of the year, I think. Because, you know, if you go back and look at the Stanford game, you know, it was basically the Rashad Penny show, right? And, you know, in this game, you know, the offense, you know, only had 263 yards of total offense. And Rashad Penny, you know, 107 yards is a pretty good outcome for any running back, you know, if your name is not Rashad Penny. But, you know, they still find ways to win that maybe don't look glamorous on the scoreboard or really don't catch the eye of whoever's voting on these things. I really can't tell you. But, I, you know, I feel like at the end of the year, when Northern Illinois is going to a bowl game in the, in the MAC, it's, you know, it's going to help San Diego State's case in the long run one way or another. But then you see, like, UCF beat up on a, I still say an okay Memphis team. They get ranked. It's like, really? Yeah, you beat Memphis. They beat a terrible FIU team. They did beat Maryland, so I guess there's some credit there, obviously, because Maryland's probably on par with Arizona State. And they thumped Memphis. I just think that's, I don't know, just too soon to give them a quick ranking at 3-0. But they got South Florida. They be, Like I mentioned, they beat up on a de- terrible East Carolina team, and they move up a spot in one of the polls. East Carolina's terrible. And I guess the big concern for going forward, not to look too far ahead, but USF goes at UCF end of the year. So if they're both undefeated, that could be a – how highly ranked would UCF be? Like, how does that Stanford victory stack up against, say, if UCF is, uh, like, 19 or something and South Florida is, like, 12 or whenever they play? Well, UCF's not ranked at the moment, right? Do you yes, have to know? No, they are. They're 25th. Yeah, that's why I brought them up. After beating Memphis 40-13, to they're now 25th at 3-0. and Oh. That's why I was getting I that. I mean, let's cool your jets a little bit on UCF until they win more than three games. Yeah, they okay beating Memphis. That's a good team, but they, and they thumped them. But and I mentioned Maryland. Like, yeah, Maryland beat Texas, but okay, is Texas really going to make a bowl game? Maybe. I don't Maybe. know. Memphis, Maryland is three and one. They beat Minnesota on the road. They're going to get creamed by Ohio State and Wisconsin down the road, and probably Michigan as well at Penn State. So they're going to fall pretty quickly. I just thought that ranking was too soon, like too soon. And so that's what I'm thinking. If UCF keeps winning and winning and winning, and, and so does USF because USF has. Cincinnati, not very good. UMass, terrible. Tulane, not really good. Mex, big challenge. Houston, at UConn's not good. Tulsa, they're underachieving. Then UCF. So, like, South Florida could be, like, 13th or 12th by the time they play UCF, who could be, like, 18. That's just just a concern. I mean, I think that even though San Diego State's, they're going to be going, you know, further into Mountain West play at this point. But if they can dominate the division especially in the same way that they've dominated the West division in the last couple of years. You know, I feel like voters would maybe notice that trend. Like, you know, UNLV is looking a little better. We'll talk about them in a, in a little bit. But, you know, yeah, but Hawaii's had its moments. You know, Fresno State looked a lot better last night. Boise's been a little bit up and down. But, you know, all four of those teams are, in, you know, on the slate in the next month. And, you know, if San Diego State can find its, you know, fifth gear and, you know, get to the point where they're dominating with the running game and the defense like they have been in, in conference play in the last two years, you know, that I think is going to be a statement of its own that's going to be really hard to ignore. So two things really quick. Um, 
I think what's really going to give them the edge is beating Boise State at home by three, two or three touchdowns because, oh, it's Boise State. You crushed them. I think that's going to be the point where, like, when they play UNLV next week, UNLV might be able to put up, put up some points. But say they win modest, like 31-13. Comfortable, but not a, not really a, a blowout. If they were to beat Boise State at home, like, 28-0, 28-10, something, two touchdowns, that will give them, like, like seriously, a three-spot jump in the pole just because it's Boise State. And I think that's the game where they're going to move up. And after that, Fresno, San Jose State, Nevada, not very good. So it's a Boise game where they're, if they're going to make a move, that's going to be the game they're going to make a move. And the Aztecs better hope it's CSU at 10-2 and two playing them in a title game. Yeah, I mean, I think you're probably right about that. And also, really quick, one last thing. Adam Rittenberg put out his, or I guess hours ago, it's just a minute ago, but his recent uh, power rankings, Aztecs drop a spot. No, whatever. I'm just saying. I think I think partly because Washington State jumped them, which is fine. He beat USC. I'm assuming that's the reason why. But, like, honestly, I would put San Diego State above Miami. Um, maybe that's about it right now. Just saying. Maybe Miami. I don't know. But – We'll see. We got a lot of football left to go, and we're just uh, projecting ahead because I think they're scoreboard watching. So they need, I think you're right, they need like a 50 to 0 victory or something, a couple of these games to get to attention and crush Boise State by a good two touchdowns to say, hey, maybe this team should be in the top 15 and ahead of South Florida, who's played Stony Brook in Illinois. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, let's move on. So we go, let's go to your game Nevada, Fresno State. Is the quarterback situation settled? Uh, I mean, it kind of seems like it at this point. Mark, so your Buffalo Wild Wings source was correct saying Marcus McMurray is going to start. And he played well. This is the one time, Matt, your grad transfer rule is not panning out. Yeah, I guess that's true for, for one night, yeah. <laughs> yeah so um, far, yeah, still early. I mean, it was really interesting watching in this game because of the fact that they seemed to want to attack Nevada strictly through the passing game. Like, if, if you break down what they did in the first half, it was, I mean, they only had 36 yards rushing. Like, they barely tried to run the football. But that's because McMarion was 21 of 24 in the first half, and he had 276 yards. Why quit? Yeah. Yes. And I don't know how much of the game you ended up seeing. Not a ton. I was watching that the Nevada, Aztecs. That game. Nevada defense was bad, man. I like, saw there Brandon, were, there Brandon was, tweets. He was not happy with this game. <laughs> there were so many instances where McMarion was throwing to receivers where there wasn't anybody within like four or five yards of them. It was like alarming at a certain point. And, you know, not, not to say that the numbers are inflated by that, but, you know, there were certain instances where he had to make tougher throws as well. Like the one one that really stood out to me was, you know, Darian Grimm's lone catch on the evening, which was a 63-yard gain that set up a score. That, you know, we've talked a lot about Chase and Virgil's deep ball accuracy in the past, and that pass was right on the money. You know, another instance was, I believe it was Keyshawn Johnson's second touchdown that he scored. He ended up having three on the night. But it was a really tough sideline pass where the defender was, you know, basically all over Johnson, but he managed to you know put it in there. And Johnson ended up with a catch and run for, for a score. So, you know, I think that that's a credit to the offense to, you know, figure out what they wanted to exploit. And then McMarion for kind of maximizing that opportunity. Really quick, did Malik Reed not play in this game? He did. 
He didn't show up in it on the stat sheet, so I'm just wondering. No tackles. Well, he, only, not... he, he only had three tackles. Oh, I, th- I didn't even I didn't even see that. Maybe I misread that. Okay, I was just curious because I'm like, they Nevada should have a decent secondary with Ruf- Rufus and him, but I guess not. You haven't been paying attention. I must not have been. I mean, but I th- I think you know some part of it is this might have been like their worst defensive performance of the year so far. You know, we talked about how they hung tough against pretty decent offenses at Northwestern and, and at home versus Toledo. You know, but Fresno State averaged over seven yards a play. That was the first time that any team had done that against Nevada this year. And, you know, a lot of that came down to McMarion's success throwing the football. That wasn't something you really saw. Like, you know, Woods, Woodside had some moments in, in Toledo and um, Thompson, I believe, for Northwestern, had some moments throwing the football. But, but Marion, it was just like a lot of the times it looked like seven on seven, if I'm being totally honest. So let me ask you this. So I may, must not have been watching Nevada closely. When you're getting blown out, I tend to stray away watching your, your team, I guess. Sorry. But you're on five. Um, so is this Fresno State offense, you think it's – like what do you think is – is it that they're this good that they finally found what they're doing? Or is it Nevada's so bad? I know it could be a combo, but what would you say was the more prevailing factor to why the offense, at least through the air, was better? Fresno State side for being better or Nevada just being a mess in the secondary and pass? I mean, I, I think that there's definitely a grain of truth to both of those arguments. But, you know, on the whole, you know, McMarion did face a little bit of pressure. Nevada did have a couple of sacks, I believe. But McMarion looked pretty good all things considered, especially in that first half where they were putting a lot on his shoulders and asking him to make plays. I think that if they want to be a pass-first offense going forward, you know, I'm still not totally certain if the running game is going to be able to help them that much because, yes, again, as a team, they averaged five yards per carry, but a lot of that production came after halftime when the game was more or less out of reach. So it'll be interesting to see how the Bulldogs approach the offense going forward if they choose to be a pass-first team. Because if they do, you know, next week going to San Jose State and then UNLV after that, you know, those are both, they've looked in the early going, like beatable secondaries. So I wonder if maybe they've, you know, not I don't want to say stumble onto something, but if they have a plan going forward. So let me ask you this. You said the passing game. Is the running game any of concern? Because they didn't do all that. Like you said, they threw for so many yards in the first half, over 200. And you had Ronnie Rivers, not too bad, 12 for 82. I assume you want to see that to be better. But what did you think of that aspect of the game? Was it not being used just because it wasn't needed in the first half? Well, and that's what I'm saying. Like a lot of the production on the ground came after halftime when they were more or less trying to salt the game away. But Ronnie Rivers did look pretty good. You know, the, the numbers don't jump off the stat sheet, but, you know, you could see that he had some start and stop ability. Guy, you know, the ability to make people miss. And, you know, they have depth behind them that you could see. You know, Jordan Mims was fairly productive. Josh Hokett finally got a little bit of extended action. By the way, he threw another touchdown pass. I saw that. Um, so, you know, they have depth back there. They did look a little better running the ball than they have in past weeks. But again, you know, some of that may have to do with the fact that Nevada's defense isn't the best. But we'll see. Because, you know, again, you know, in coming weeks, you know, the Spartans have looked beatable. The Rebels have looked beatable on defense. 
So there's some promise there, but you know, I'm still on a little bit of a show me as far as the running game. But I think McMarion er- erased a lot of my personal doubts. You know what makes me happy about this victory? What's that? When they come to play BYU and I'll be there, it will not be just a blowout or some sort. I'm more confident that Fresno can put up a fight in these games. So, because it's so fun to watch. I went to the last Fresno BYU game. wasn't that great. So, just looking down the road. That's something for me personally because why not? I can be selfish, right? Going to a game, I want to see a good game. Yeah, that's fair. There we go. All right, next game. UNLV. Wait, wait, wait. We, did, we didn't actually talk about Nevada at all, though. Oh, you're right. I guess we have to talk about the Wolfpack. Um, so Ty Gangy should have been the starter from day one and not been pulled at all because he actually threw the ball. I know he had three picks. 31 of 48 is pretty good. We know they have no running game, but as I said last time, if he's the quarterback, stick with them or have a plan because it seems like Jay Norvell has no plan at quarterback. I mean, it was it was really rough watching the Wolfpack in the first half on offense because – you could see they wanted to do basically what Fresno State was doing almost at will, which is why Ganji ended up throwing the ball so much in the first half. But, you know, he didn't get the benefit of a running game either. Like in that first half, they tried to run the ball just as much as Fresno State did, but they only had 25 yards on the ground. They really put a lot on Ganji's shoulders, and it really wasn't until right before halftime that he made that count. You know, it seemed like he was running for his life a lot, and a couple of the interceptions that he threw were just really bad throws. Like one of one of the interceptions that Jaron Bryant had was actually a really good play where he you know basically jumped the route and you know had grabbed it on the sidelines. The other two though were just really brutal decisions on on Ganji's part. So. You know, on the whole, maybe you could be encouraged by the fact that he's actually completing more than 50% of his passes once. Got to start somewhere. But, you know, he's going to need some help at some point because Kelton Moore, Blake Wright, Jackson Kincaid just didn't give it to him last night. Yeah, 23 for 61. What they get? What? Five TFLs, two QB hurries, three sacks. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me ask you this. It's not a fun game I want to play. Is Nevada going 0-12? Well, I mean, I had them going 1-11, so. <laughs> I think we'd have to circle the San Jose State game. It's at home in Reno as their only chance for victory. It's not going to be pretty. Sorry. I had now some we guy can move on. <laughs> yeah, really quick. I had some guy on Twitter. I don't know who he is or where he's from. Like, he does stuff for the Houston Chronicle. It's like, well, Norville has time to get going. I'm like, with his recruits and guys, I'm like, yeah. But he doesn't have a plan. They're terrible. They're not. They have no running game. They actually had decent quarterback play, you would think. But I don't know. Let's move on. It's just a mess. Like, Sorry. A, like it's like I keep saying, it's a year zero situation. Just put keep it in that perspective. It's not going to be pretty a lot of the times this year. Yeah, it's just them burning the K- Casey's uh, red shirt is a mess. That's a that's my that's a big issue for me. It's like if you pulled his red shirt, play him out unless he gets hurt or plays just awful. But all right, let's move on. All right, so we go to uh, UNLV, San Jose State. So well, we already mentioned Nevada's a bad team. San Jose State might be worse. Um, 41-13, Rebels got the victory. Did you know Lexington Thomas had a pretty good <coughs> game? Pretty good game. 18 for 146 on the ground. Did you know that decreased his yards per carry average? I did not know that. By about half a yard. <laughs> so here's what's really interesting to me about this game. 
And again, I feel like there's a tale of two halves going on here. You know, especially in the first half where, you know, yes, UNLV racked up a 35 to 13 lead and more or less cruised from there. But it was interesting seeing the, the way these two teams really tried to attack each other. You know, Armani Rogers didn't have a lot of opportunities to throw the ball. But he was 7 of 7 in the first half for 128 yards. So he more or less maximized the chances that he had to throw the ball. More tellingly, though, you know, the Rebels were able to run for over 200 yards in the first half. And a lot of that is a credit to Lexington Thomas. Conversely, though, you know, the the Spartans really had trouble getting the running game going. They only had 55 yards in the first half. But, you know, Josh Love didn't have a you know a bad first half he was 16 of 33 he ended up 30 of 48 for over 300 yards finally got in the end zone about time here's the difference as i see it you know those i'm trying to think of a way to explain this san jose state got into the unlv red zone five times not bad they scored 13 points that's not good at all it's not good and a lot of that, I think, comes down to the drives of where they had that they had in the first quarter, where they got to the UNLV twelve on their opening drive, and had to settle for a Bryce Crawford field goal. You know, later in the you know, early in the second quarter, you know, they got to the UNLV five, seventy-five yard drive, seventeen plays, had to settle for another field goal. You know, and they had a missed field goal in between there, and then later in the game is when it really started getting away from them. But, you know, they got to the UNLV 20 before they turned it over on downs in the third quarter. And then in the fourth quarter, they got down there and fumbled it away at the goal line. Yeah, three, so. minus three, three fumbles. That's a big deal. You get turnover on downs, missed field goals, and uh, turn, coughing it up at the goal line. So yeah. that, that can be can, what? That can be what? Tw- 18 more points, almost three more touchdowns, perhaps? Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Conversely, you know, you look at what UNLV did in the first half, they made their opportunities count. You know, every time they got into the red zone, they punched it in for six. You know, and, you know, that's a credit, I think, to this offense. So, like, we kind of knew into this. We we could guess what they wanted to do in this game. They wanted to lean on their strength, which is their running game. And San Jose State just really didn't have an answer for all, all, all night long. Yeah, if you just look at the numbers, you'd think San Jose State would do okay. Yeah, you got the two, like, five total turnovers is not good. Obviously, the amount of fumbles lost they had. Oh, wait, no, it was a... Uh... No, I'm sorry. I was looking at that wrong. Sorry, three. I thought, no, nah, my mistake. I looked at <laughs> too many pages. The three interceptions aren't, or three turnovers, I should say. Sorry, one fumble, two interceptions. I don't know where I saw three fumbles from. But, like, look at what they did. Like, they threw the ball. You had Walker, had 100 yards. Uh, Ziggler well, didn't do very well. But then you look at Nevins. Maybe Tyler Nevins is the running back, 94 yards, 300 yards passing. Look, they all, like, the pure numbers look okay. But, like you said, they moved. It's like the joke we had years ago. Kind of the opposite, where, oh no, maybe it's the same thing, where when they get to the red zone, they can't score. So it's like, let's do a 35-yard touchdown pass to, for, or a super long field goal for San Jose State. They moved the ball close, but once they got close, like you said, turnovers, missed field goal, fumble. They got to take advantage of any chances they have, and they had plenty of chances. So let's say they made the field goal three points. They don't fumble the goal line at seven points. They don't turn over on downs. That could be another seven or three points. That's, like I said, 17 points. Still would have lost, but losing 41-30, to 30, maybe UNLV doesn't score on a return drive after those turnovers. But it's I don't think it's completely a lost cause for San Jose State, despite them getting blown out by UNLV. 
they showed a few things. Like I said, Love threw for 300 yards, finally got in the end zone. Over, well over 50% of his passes. So there are some good things about San Jose State. They just got to finish. And that's been their issue for however many years in the past four or five years. They couldn't finish once it got close, and they still have a terrible rush defense. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's one thing that San Jose State's going to want to think about going forward is trying to figure out how to close drives. Because right now, they rank 117th nationally in touchdown conversions inside the red zone. You know, if they want to be able to make games more competitive, they're going to have to figure out how to finish drives. And whether that means Love takes a step forward, just having more game experience, you know, or whether it's the running game kind of getting going, you know, like you said, Nevin's had a pretty solid evening, you know, whether it's one of those two things or something else entirely, that I think is a question for these, for this offense going forward. Also, it didn't help Billy Gaither had no receptions, no receptions in this game. Well, I think he might have gotten hurt at some point. I think that's what it was. I, I remember, because I flipped it back around, there was something where, I, I remember I heard his name called, but that's that's a big issue as well. If you have him in, he's their best receiver, four touchdowns. He has, what, 21 receptions on the year. So losing him, like, again, wouldn't have made the difference, but a few, not mental errors, but the errors they made, they could have had, like I said, almost three more touchdowns. But they didn't, and they're sitting at one and five, and uh, they go to Hawaii. They go to, oh, no, Fresno next week, then Hawaii. So... The v, the v, is it a V Trophy? Is that the official name of it? The Valley Trophy. The Valley Trophy. And so you know this game's only on ESPN3 next week, right? That kind of stinks. Uh, yes. Oh, well. All right, next game. Should we go to um, the nightcap? The late, late yes. cap that nobody can watch ever because Spectrum is terrible? Well, I mean, let's let's reframe the question. If you're a Hawaii fan, did you want to watch this game? <laughs> did you want Hawaii fans on the mainland to watch this game? Exactly. All right, so Rams 51, Hawaii 21. Colorado State, like, I tried to watch this game, but I haven't. My little girl has an iPod. I'm like, oh, I'll watch an iPod. Nope, Spectrum, for some reason, won't let me watch it even on the Watch Stadium app, even though it's just the streams up and going. So I'm, I'm shifting my blame from Watch Stadium to uh, Spectrum because, I don't know, maybe it's a virtual VPN thing, people trying to get games in Hawaii and they want to curb that, but don't announce it and say it's going to happen every week and then it never does. But... This game, I'm I'm adjusting my quarterback rankings. Nick Stevens is Nick Stevens is going ahead of Christian Chapman this week, because when you go 18 to 22 for four touchdowns and over 350 yards, I think that's deserving of number one spot. Can we say that Hawaii has defensive issues? Yes, we can say that very much so. Because you know the Rams, yeah, we knew they had a good offense, but I did not expect them to be over 10 yards per play awesome you know what i mean and you know we talked about a couple weeks ago the ucla game where josh rosen really picked apart this defense the rams offense was even better than josh rosen was a couple weeks ago that is going to be a significant problem for a team that wants to be competitive in the west division like if they can't get that fixed you know they didn't really put any pressure on Stevens in this game. They only had three tackles for loss, and they gave up 610 yards of total offense. You know, you can you know, cast blame on the defense or on the offense all you want, but you know, Drew Brown, to me, kind of seemed like he did everything he could to keep up. Like, you know, he completed 31 of 47. He had 360 yards and a couple of touchdowns. I don't think they had. They only had one turnover in this game. But, like, what are you going to do to solve the defensive problems? I don't know. I just know that the Rams went 
seven of eight scoring pitcher drives, and that one drive they didn't score on was basically running the ball at the end of half. Seven, seven, eight possessions, six touchdowns, and a field goal before they had to punt. They didn't punt until they went a three and out with two minutes left in the third quarter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we just talked about how, you know, San Jose State has had issues scoring touchdowns or, you know, converting red zone conversions. Colorado State hasn't had that problem. You know, they actually lead the league in red zone attempts and they've scored at least a touchdown or a field goal 91% of the time, which, you know, other than Wyoming, which has only been nine of nine so far, I think is the best figure in the conference. Like th- that is a team that I think if you're a Hawaii fan, you're kind of looking at to try to emulate in the long run because they had pretty much all facets of the game working. Like not only Nick Stevens, but like, you know, Michael Gallup might have reasserted himself as the number one <laughs> receiver in the conference. Like I thought he'd get 150 yards. He ended up with 212. Yeah. He and running game, like I said, Dawkins, Matthews had combined for well over 200 yards, three touchdowns. Yeah, so I mean, you know, Hawaii, I think, is still a work in progress. Like, we know they can move the ball. I don't think there's any doubt about that. That's going to keep them in a lot of games this year. But if they can't figure out what's going on in defense, it's going to sink any chances they have of getting to a bowl game. Yeah, they got to, like, get some turnovers. It's like, give up points, yards, but get a turnover here and there. Like, do something to stop any team. Like, the Rams, like I said, six touchdowns on their first eight possessions. They gotta have a, they have decent return on the kick returns, but they gotta have either stops or interceptions to or turnovers essentially. They only had three TFLs the whole game, no QB hurries, no sacks. They were putting no pressure on Stevens and not getting to the backfield one bit. And something's have to change. Like if they're gonna make a bowl game, they have the advantage to get to six. They'll be at home, but like they should beat Nevada next week. They'll put them at three wins. Probably beat San Jose State for. They have a decent chance to go to a bowl game, but I don't know. It's it's interesting. They need, like I said, defense. There's work. In, I think a work in progress. You saying that is being generous. Well, I mean, I think that it is. I think they overachieved last year in winning seven games. Like we kind of knew coming into the season that the offense was going to be ahead of the defense, and I think that when you look at the big picture of these first five weeks, you know, I think that that's still pretty much the case like we know drew brown is a keeper he's going to continue to grow and develop you know we know that john Sua is definitely a you know a keeper he you know had a touchdown he had 74 yards you know saint juiced is you know a, a you know among one of the best running backs in the conference so we know that they have those pieces on offense but the defense is going to have to figure it out at some point well they need somebody besides divide to make something of themselves they had 14 tackles and that's it. Everybody else had fewer than ten. They got to have somebody step up to anything. He had one of the one of the two or one of three TFLs. There's nobody else making plays on this defense. It's got to be somebody. Like he's going to make his plays, but even he step up, get a sack, get a QB hurry, blitz some more. They it's hard to know exactly because you can't really watch this game at all, besides a few weird angled highlights on the Weiss Twitter account. But clearly, we could tell they didn't make any plays defensively, and we've seen them a couple of times. UCLA was on play. When they've uh, played UMass, UMass put up a lot of points on them, but they're not very good. So if they're going to get to a bowl game, or if they're going to be number two in the division, they got to play defense because you look what UNLV did. UNLV is getting better on on offense. Like San Diego State could just roll steamroll them over and chokehold them. 
Who knows? Fresno State with McMarion. You saw how they threw the ball over Nevada's defense. I would say Hawaii's better than that, but not by that much, right? Yeah. I mean, the only team in the conference that's given up more points so far is San Jose State. <laughs> and, you know, some of that has to do with the fact that the Spartans have played one more game. Well, Hawaii's played the same amount of games as San Jose. No, San Jose's one and five, and Hawaii's only two and three. Oh, I guess Hawaii had off week. So I guess that's yeah. it. Okay. I just remember them both playing that opening weekend, so I assume they're still at the same amount of games. Yeah. So, I mean, and they're right in the middle of the conference as far as scoring offense. You know, but again, they're going to have to figure it out on defense if they want to be competitive. All right, so let's wrap this up really quick. Let me ask you a hard-hitting question here, Matt. Okay. Who's the third best team in the conference? Ooh. Well, I mean, if we're assuming San Diego State and Colorado State are one and two. Naturally, yes. So who are you put number three in your power pole this week? That's what I'm getting at. Oh, man. You're going to make me think about that right now? Well, you can change. It's fine. I, I is the, it, the dumb answer is probably Boise State, but I don't think that's the case. Could it be New Mexico? I mean, it could be, yeah. <laughs> probably not Utah State. Who's your pick? Who's number three for you? Come on. And you know what? Honestly, I probably would put Boise State. You still would? Yeah, and a lot of that I think has to do with the fact that I still give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, coming off a of bye week, going into conference play to no at BYU next week or at BYU rather. But you know, coming out of a bye week, let's just leave it at that. To you know, have a chance to make changes as Brian Harson promised to get Brett Ripon healthy, which is the number one thing. And to, you know, find ways to be a little more consistent on offense. Okay. I can agree with that. So I, I probably say Boise State because we've seen what they can do. Like they beat Troy, who just beat LSU. They should have beat Washington State, who just upset USC. So like their victories and losses, like who they played and who their opponents played, not to go that route, but they played some pretty good teams this year. And they already beat New Mexico as well. So I guess – if you're going to pick a team, it'd be between Utah State and Boise, and I still don't trust Utah State at the moment because going up against a banged-up BYU team, not that it mattered that they would have not just downgrade the victory, but you were playing against a third-string quarterback and a team that was already offensively inept headed into the game. So I guess I'd go Boise State, but I'm not super confident about it. Mm-hmm. All right, anything else we need to add? Um, I have Aztecs playing TCU in the Cotton Bowl. Is that pretty cool, I guess, maybe? I, I think we all liked the USC. So I, I think everybody a little did. Bit better. Yeah. Well, USC lost, and my thinking is that the reason I put them there is because I still think Washington is going to make the playoff. And I know, and the Rose Bowl is the semifinal, so they're not guaranteed. The Pac-12 is not guaranteed to get a second team in there now. Say, had the semifinal been away from the Rose Bowl, they're going to take Pac-12 Big Ten no matter what. And so now the SC or Pac-12 is not really guaranteed that second spot. And so it's only one loss for USC, and that could change, but them losing knocks them down a peg, in my opinion. And the Big 12 looks better. They'll probably get two teams in there, maybe probably Big 10 as well overall, the year six. So that was my – I just flipped it up this week, a little, little change. But I think everybody well, – And maybe it will be – maybe there is an appeal to like an old-school Mountain West matchup. A little bit. They, they played a couple times in the conference, but I agree. I, I think the ideal matchup outside of playoff – would be like getting USC in the Fiesta Bowl or something like that. 
because they already beat Stanford, already beat Arizona State, and the Bulls want West Coast teams, especially festival, and they're fine. We've shown, they, we've known they've been fine taking teams like Boise, Utah, um, back in the day. Um, Hawaii went to Sugar Bowl, is a different situation, but it'll be. I I'd still say, would you still put Aztecs number one in that that position for the uh, big time bowl game, even though we're only six weeks in? Oh yeah, okay, absolutely. Stony Brook doesn't cut it for me, right? <laughs> Well, yeah, and apologies to Spartans fan, but neither does San Jose State. Yeah, oh, exactly. Oh, but I, I get Aztecs played UC Davis and all that, but I think what they need, really quick, we'll wrap this up quickly, but like you'll have probably your – I assume you're going to do your Aztec guide every week now, perhaps? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so you can look forward to that if you're a San Diego State fan. So I think what they really want is Stanford, obviously, to win the Pac-12 or get to the title game somehow or get close to it, but – I think you're right. Just blow out teams is the best way to get noticed. One to fifty to zero. I think that's it. Anything else? Yeah, I'll have to take a. I'll have to take a. I'll have to take a closer look at this coming week's schedule. We can talk about that in next week's preview. We definitely will. Anything else? I think we're good to go. I think we are. All right, check us out mwcwire.com. I don't pub this a lot, but if you want to head, head up our Patreon, we're doing our basketball countdown. You can be part of. You can hijack that poll too, folks, if you want to. So. And our fantasy league is going well. I'm not winning, so I'm not going to win the 25 bucks. so that'll go to somebody else. Hey, I picked up Nick Stevens off waivers. Some dummy waved Nick Stevens, apparently. Maybe they're maybe they're really big fans of Colin Hill. I don't know, man. A quarter, even though there's six teams, quarterback depth is a pretty risky when there's a bye week. So I'm like, I had to find somebody. Because <laughs> I had Lamar Jordan get hurt, and I had Aaron Worth. I'm like, oh, crap, what am I going to do this next week? Like two weeks ago, I'm like, hey, there he is. But, yeah, um, maybe I'll post an update on that. But that's our show for tonight. Again, um, MWC Wire, Facebook, uh, Twitter, download our show, Blog Talk Radio, tune in, iTunes, Stitcher, all that fun stuff. Five stars, right, Matt? That's what we want. Five stars. And tell two always. friends. And tell two friends. But uh, that's all we got for tonight. And as always, yes, we hate your – well, we don't hate your team, but we're biased against your team. <laughs>